The Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The glory of the gospel of the Lord. common occurrence in my life is when my wife, Tara, she's the one to cook dinner, and as she's getting close to finishing the meal, she'll ask me to try a bite. And after taking said bite, Tara inevitably wants to know what I think, so she asks, well, do you like it? And it's then that I will often say, it's good, but it needs more salt. It's true, Tara is notoriously conservative with salt when she cooks, because she always reminds me, well, Ben, you can always add more salt, but you can't take it away. And I always end up rolling my eyes when she says that, but she is right. There's a lot of truth to that statement. Salt is one of those ingredients that just cannot be undone. I mean, once something has been salted, once the salt has left the shaker, there is no going back. Once something has been salted, how can its saltiness be, how can it lose its saltiness? I've never quite figured that out, but if I did, I could probably have saved some of the meals that I have personally prepared in the past, and I wouldn't have had to stomach those meals trying to save my ego, claiming to Tara that, yeah, I really do love these oversalted mashed potatoes. <laughs> and it's experiences like this with salt that really have me scratching my head today because something losing its salt seems so impossible in my mind. And it makes me wondering, it makes me wonder what the heck Jesus was even talking about in today's gospel when he says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? That's what we're working with right off the bat today in Matthew's gospel, an odd metaphor about salt losing its saltiness doesn't even really seem possible. And it's this metaphor that's always confounded me. Even though we use this term, salt of the earth, so much in our common vocabulary to describe humble, hardworking people as salt of the earth. And I understand that, but it still leaves this metaphor unresolved for me. That was until this week. This week I had a breakthrough with this text because I came across a social science commentary on today's gospel that 
explained that the salt that Jesus is referring to here in this gospel, it might not be the same salt that we think about, that we cook with, the sodium chloride that we would know. This isn't a food salt that Jesus is talking about, but rather a chemical compound consisting of an ionic assembly of cations and anions. And in Jesus' time, it was this chemical salt that would be applied to these plates that would then be placed into ovens and lit on fire so that people could prepare their food. And it was the salt on these plates that would spark the fire, this chemical compound salt. Now these ovens themselves, they weren't stainless steel ovens as we would know today in our own kitchens, but these were earthen ovens formed from the dirt and the clay outside. So then if we put these two things together, the salt of the earth Jesus is referring to here is the salt that was used to spark fires in these earthen ovens. Talk about an epiphany. This has always been something that has seemed to elude me, understanding what this all means. And I always thought that this text would imply that being salty is something that we should cling to or try not to lose. And that always seemed like an impossibility to me in the first place. But maybe instead, this text is asking us to light some fires. And with this understanding, it makes sense then that the salt used to fuel these fires could be spent or lost. But I think the call here is not for us to burn up or to burn out, but to always retain that spark that allows us to light some fires today on this earth. And since fire also gives off light, this igniting, combustible way of understanding the salt and earth metaphor, it then connects us to what Jesus says next in the gospel. He says, you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives off light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works give glory to your Father in heaven. Salt, fire, light, these images now make sense together in the context of these earthen ovens and salt plates that were used in antiquity. And that started to get me thinking about the people in my life or the people in this world who would identify with this salt and earth identity. People who start fires for the sake of creating sustenance or shining their light before others. And I was inspired this week after attending a service at the Lutheran School of Theology where they are celebrating Black History Month by celebrating blackness in white spaces. And so I started to think about black heroes who we could think about and tell stories about in this sermon today. And we could obviously point to some of those more famous black fire starters from Martin Luther King Jr. to Ida B. Wells, but I wanted to go a bit deeper. I wanted to discover some of the African-American history that we have left out or overlooked, and that has been on purpose, too. Dr. Melvin Chapman, an educator from Detroit, he says this, it's not an accident that there is a blackout on the black man's contributions in America. And he's right. And it was that reality that lit a fire under me to do a little research and find a lesser-known salt-of-the-earth hero of black history. And it was that fire, that light, 
that eventually led me to an article that was written by African-American food journalist Donna Battle Pierce. And she wrote about a woman who knew her way around an oven. This woman's name was Frida DeKnight. And the name Frida DeKnight, it might not ring a bell for you because it was only within the past two years that Frida even received one of the most basic of 21st century acknowledgments, a Wikipedia page. <laughs> but despite being all but forgotten, she is one of those hidden figures of black history whose story must be told. She was born in 1909, and she spent much of her 54 years collecting, protecting, and celebrating African-American culture and traditions in the years after World War II up to the Civil Rights Movement. As the first food editor for Ebony Magazine, DeKnight wrote a photo-driven monthly column that offered her home economist tips, as well as regional recipes from the black community of home cooks, professional chefs, caterers, restaurateurs, and celebrities. Jessica Harris, a culinary historian and author of a dozen books about African-American culture, said this of Frida DeKnight. She said, Frida DeKnight was one of the first who brought international attention to African-American food. She was a trailblazer. And we all know that a trail cannot be blazed without some fire and some light to lead the way. And blaze a trail, Frida DeKnight did. In 1948, seven years before Rosa Parks, Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on a bus in Montgomery, and 16 years before the Civil Rights Act of 1964, DeKnight published her first and only cookbook, A Date with a Dish, a cookbook of American Negro recipes. The book became a bestseller, and that 1948 edition remains the most significant. It has become an heirloom passed down through generations of black families and described by today's black food writers and historians as among the most transformative recipe collections published in the 20th century. After her death, DeKnight's obituary, it appeared in the August 1963 issue of the Negro Digest. The obituary was titled, Tribute to a Lady Titan, noting her role in revamping the image of African-Americans in the public sphere. The writer of this obituary called DeKnight a familiar figure at professional food and fashion gatherings where Negroes had been seen before only as servants. I think that's exactly what it means to be the salt of the earth. And the spark that set Frida's salt fire ablaze, it's nothing short of the spark of the divine, the spirit of the living God. And it's that same spark that lights our own fires so that we can let the light of our fire shine before others, shine bright for all to see, so that we can loose the bonds of injustice, undo the thongs of the yoke, let the oppressed go free, break every yoke, to share our bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into our homes, and when we see the naked, to cover them, and to not hide ourselves from our own kin. It is then that we do these things, that our fire is ablaze, that our light shall break forth like the dawn. Hallelujah.